Well, I've chosen today's text uh, in order to prepare our hearts for the coming year. I sort of strategically gravitated toward these two pithy verses in Ephesians chapter 5. And the title to my sermon is Redeem the Time. Redeem the Time. You and I are called by these verses and throughout Scripture to take into account the fact that there is limited, there is a limited amount of time allotted to us in this life. And we're called, as it were, to redeem that time as it is being spent moment by moment. That's the picture that's literally being communicated, as we'll see in these verses. Redeem the time. Older translations say redeem the time. Some more modern translations, such as the ESV that we have, says making the most of your time. One of the great opportunities of New Year's is that it is one of the few times, if not the only time, that our very now-in-the-moment society actually stops to consider the passage of time. Whether they're sober or not while they do it is a question on the individual. But isn't it interesting that we stop once a year to consider the passage of time? And people in society look back at the time that was spent in the last year, whether good or bad, and they have to come to grips with the fact that whatever decisions they've made, good or bad, they cannot get those back. That year is gone. And on the other hand, as society looks to the new year, there's an opportunity to think how they will spend the new time that is coming their way. And it gives an opportunity to us as believers to to pause and to consider how we have used our time and how we will improve upon it in the time to come. You know, the world has a lot of superficial reasons to look at the time and how they'll better improve it. We of all people should have an acute awareness of the preciousness of time. We know that our time is a stewardship from the Lord. The One who made us and redeemed us. And the use of our time we've spent last year And the time that we'll spend this year, we know that we're going to give an account for that time when we come before our Master. And here in these two pithy verses in Ephesians 5, we're going to see how we view and use our time is crucial to our walk and our witness. In fact, I'm going to repeat that phrase because it really is the summary and heart of these verses. It's a real simple truth. Your spiritual walk and witness depends on how you use your time. Your spiritual walk and your witness depend on how you will decide to use your time. Now, I could have been creative and decided to make this more relevant to New Year's and say that your spiritual walk and witness depends on how you use your year. I even thought about cleverly titling the sermon, Redeem the New Year. 
And as I was thinking about it and praying, I decided to not go that direction simply because you and I are not guaranteed a year. You and I could look back and see one whole year that is behind us as it's spent. But you and I have no idea how much time the Lord has allotted in front of us. All we know is that our time here is limited. Really, all we know is right now. Your time is now. And to use economic language, your time is being spent. If we were to picture each moment like a coin or something, being spent, spent, spent. Uh, Some of us, from heaven's vantage point, have perhaps a whole vault left to be spent of of decades and a whole lifetime in front of us. While others of us may be down to our last pennies. It's a sobering thing that we don't know how much time each of us have to spend in 2023. It's not our privilege to know. And it's also not our decision. But what we can know is that the Lord has determined it. And what we can decide is how we will make the most of that time and redeem it for our Lord to whom we belong. As we resolve to use the time the Lord has given us this new year, however much time it might be, these verses help to give us a vision, a perspective, And I say they can give us a vision because verse 15 literally begins with a call to look. A call to look. Let's just jump straight to our text. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 begins with the words, Look carefully. Paul says, Look carefully. In other words, Paul is saying, give careful consideration to whatever I'm about to say. Give careful consideration. And it's based on the considerations that follow that I'm going to actually divide our text. At first, I didn't have an outline, but I started to see an outline as I sort of took apart the text. I see three considerations for all of us to have to have a vision for the new year. Number one, Consider your walk with God. Number two, consider your time from God. Number three, consider your urgent mission for God. Those will be the three sort of headings that will guide our text. Consider your walk with God. Consider your time from God. Consider your mission for God. And you and I might have various diverse resolutions in our Christian lives. We may have different vices we need to overcome this year. We may have different good habits we hope to develop. But all of us in this room should have these three considerations in mind from the Scripture. We're all called to look carefully at these things. And we'll start with the first point that Paul wants to draw our attention to. Consider Your walk with God. Let's go back to the beginning of verse 15. 
Paul says, look carefully. The idea is not only to take into consideration, but specifically the language actually means to be alert as you're examining your steps. One pictures a soldier looking for booby traps or someone who's trying to look at their path carefully so as not to stumble. To look carefully as at your steps. It's a fitting way of putting it because he says here, look carefully then how you walk. I was thinking about this concept of walking. Uh, the Bible often uses the metaphor of walking to describe the saint's experience in this world. Oftentimes when a believer is described as, as living a godly life in the Scriptures, there's usually a tagline that says that that person is walking with God. For example, in Genesis, if you want to go all the way to the beginning, Noah was the only man on the earth who feared God, and it says he walked with God. Abraham, who obeyed God in faith, was called one who walked with God. Enoch was one whose life was summarized as one who walked with God. And you see the pattern throughout Scripture, this walking, this relationship language. And the idea also carried over into the New Testament. Although the epistles pick up on this idea of walking, uh, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 John, these all, all these books use the concept of walking in the Christian life. Uh, walking is so common. It's, it, it communicates lifestyle. A lifestyle of communion with God as we live in His will. It's so common. We even use it in our Christian speech. It's common to ask each other a question like, how is your walk? We don't have to answer and go, one foot is still going in front of the other. We know what we're talking about. We're talking about our spiritual life. We understand the meaning. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory that's all about a Christian's walk. What does it mean to walk with God? There's many ways we can describe it. My favorite one is from a sermon from J.C. Ryle. He wrote, what it means for a person to walk with God. This is sort of the ideal that we should be striving for. And I just love the way he put it. In the sermon, he's talking about a man of God, but it applies, of course, to all men and women of God. Here's what J.C. Ryle says of what it means to walk with God. Quote, One who walks with God is one of God's friends. That unhappy enmity and dislike which men naturally feel towards their Maker has been removed. He feels perfectly reconciled and at peace. How indeed can two walk together except they be agreed? He does not hide himself from the Lord like Adam in the trees of the garden but he seeks to be in constant communion with Him. He is not as many who are uncomfortable at the idea of being alone with God, for he is never perfectly happy except in his company. He feels that he cannot be too much with Him because he desires to be of the same mind, to think like Him, to act like Him, to be conformed to His image. End quote. 
And this leads to a soul-searching question for you and I. As we examine this last year, as we think about where we're at today, how is your walk with the Lord? How is your walk with the Lord? Are you walking closer to Him today than you were a year ago? Have you found greater delight in pleasing Him? Have you found help from Him in your struggles? Have you drawn closer to Him through the trials of this last year? Are you more like Him to any degree? How is your walk with God? If we're going to join the rest of society in looking back to the last year, surely that should be among our top concerns. And if we're resolved to make progress in the time to come, surely our walk with Him should be our chief focus. And as you look ahead to the new year, consider your walk with the Lord. Paul indicates in the literal sense here, take careful examination of your steps. Also note from the verse that we're called to consider our walk not as unwise, but as wise. I want to sort of highlight that point because Paul wants to make sure you consider your walk not as unwise, but as wise. And that brings a very serious consideration for us to contemplate. It's one that I think we don't consider enough. You can have a wise or unwise Christian walk. You can have a wise or an unwise Christian walk. Although it's true that every Christian will have a work of sanctification at work in them, that's not being disputed. We're all, no one is totally stagnant. That does not mean, though, that every Christian automatically advances to spiritual maturity. Christians don't get saved and have a, a sudden transcendent super enlightenment. Christians don't, get, don't effortlessly become strong, disciplined spiritual warriors for the kingdom. Uh, there's no let go and let God, this passive advancement. No, it, it's actually quite possible to be an unwise Christian. And I say that without apology from Scripture. It is possible to remain immature your whole life as a Christian. Now yes, I know the objection. Every Christian will bear fruit. Not disputed. There will be fruit. There will be a work in those who are genuinely saved. But the rate of that work and the fruit will vary from Christian to Christian. Yes, you'll bear fruit, but it's possible you're going to bear very little fruit. Read through the New Testament. And sometimes we put the early church on this big pedestal, the early church, like they're pristine. It's anything but that. You go through the New Testament and you'll see that believers in the churches were definitely not above remaining as spiritual infants. Believers do not all share the quality of growing steadily and Steadfastly. They don't all share the quality of being above reproach. Not all believers share the same effectiveness 
in their witness. Believers will not all receive the same level of reward when they give an account before their Lord. In fact, there's scriptures that indicate there will be a great loss of reward for many believers. I really feel there needs, there's a great need to be reminded of this. Because I think especially in our circles, we sort of think that we're spiritually untouchable because God is sovereign. There's often a tendency to think that just because we're saved and in His grip, that we're sort of untouchable and that our souls can't be injured. That nothing is really at stake to hinder our progress. And while it is true that Scripture emphasizes the grace of God and the sovereignty of God and His work through us, an honest look at the same Scripture will show that it is also emphatic that advancement in the Christian life requires effort. It requires exertion. And it requires wisdom. There's responsibility in the Christian life. In fact, if you look at history, you would find that any society that was influenced by vibrant Christians becomes a society that emphasizes personal responsibility and a work ethic. It's in the fabric of Scripture. Personal responsibility. You and I always have personal responsibility over the condition of our spiritual walk. Whether it be a backsliding, slow, foolish walk, or one of progress and great productivity and much fruit. I think that needs to weigh on us sometimes. That God has given us this cooperative effort in our sanctification. Verse 15 calls upon the believer to give careful consideration to how we exercise wisdom in our walk. You can misstep. You can stumble. In the Pilgrim's Progress allegory, there's many times when Christian is stuck in mud or he falls down or he's discouraged and in his despondency. There are traps in the Christian life. Now the question understandably comes, uh, how does one exercise wisdom in their walk with God? How do we do what Paul is talking about? What does it look like to walk wisely with the Lord this year? Well, we do need to flesh that out. Uh, It's never helpful to have a, a vague exhortation like just walk with God. I don't know what that means. If this is a metaphor for lifestyle, what does it mean to cultivate a lifestyle of wisdom in the Christian life? Well, the way we can define this walk is simply by going through the context of Ephesians. Because Ephesians has actually been touching on walking up until this point. If you ever look through Ephesians, the subject of walking is actually developed throughout the book as a theme. Notice that the verse says, look carefully then. Look carefully then how you walk. This word then implies that Paul has an immediate context in mind. He's assuming you know what's been said. 
And although, although I want to look at the immediate context, the verses that are right before this verse, I actually want to survey different points in the book that touch on this idea of our spiritual walk. And so what I'm going to do is I just want to go through a few verses that talk about walking so that we know what areas of walking in our lifestyle we need to improve on and walk wisely in. And by identifying these verses, I want to highlight the areas that you and I can remember as we cultivate our walk with the Lord this year. Let's go back to chapter 2. The first mention of walking actually goes back to the beginning of chapter 2. And it's an explanation of how our walk actually began. It wasn't always walking with the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 1, describing our condition before we were saved. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. There's that first mention of walked. But this was a dark walk. This was a walk not with God. It was a walk in opposition to God. Notice that Paul basically says we were dead people walking. Spiritual zombies. We were spiritually dead in sin. And verse 2 continues with the direction that our steps were taking. It continues, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Our direction was to follow this world and the agenda of Satan. And we can't blame the world and the environment and and Satan for how we once were because look what it says. It says we followed. We followed. That, That means we were willing participants in this walk. In our depraved state, fallen man is resolved to pursue everything but God. The sinful impulses of the flesh. But then something happened that set us on a different course. A new pursuit. A different walk. Look at verse 4. Chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now the key here is that God is the One who made us alive and He joined us together not with merely a set of beliefs, not even merely with the church, but He joined us together with a person. He took our walk and He directed the course to be joined together with Christ. He gave us new life, which strongly implies a new lifestyle, a new pursuit after the one we're to follow after. This brings up the first area of our walk to consider, which is that our new walk is in union with Christ. Our new walk is in union with Christ. If you're going to resolve to improve your walk this year and you want to know what that means to walk wisely, the chief thing for you to consider from the beginning of this walk 
is that you are together with Christ. And not only should that be something to remember and consider, it should be something that we aim to cultivate. You're no longer walking with the world this coming year. You're not walking like they walk. Don't take their cues. You've been joined to Christ. It should be something that you continually aim to cultivate chief above all other resolutions in your walk. And indeed, it's actually central in all other resolutions in your walk. That you cultivate the relationship you have with this one you're following after and pursue the Savior you've been joined to. Now, I want to be clear that this union with Christ is objective. Meaning, your union with Christ is not contingent on how you're doing from one day to another. That's not what we're saying. If we're in Christ, our position with Him in heaven doesn't change. Our union with Him doesn't change. But as it is in our present state, our hearts are not yet aligned to that standing. We have indwelling sin. We have a work of sanctification. We have many weaknesses in our mortal bodies. And we're in this process of sanctification, which means we're becoming what we are. This year, the goal of God is to make you become more and more what you already are. And what we are is together with Christ. Thus, as you walk, draw near to Him. Pursue that union. Cultivate your relationship with Him. Resolve to keep Him as your first love. How is your relationship with Christ today when you survey the last year? This is foundational and it's your chief pursuit if you want to walk wisely. Ephesians continues to cover another area of this walk that we have that's begun with Christ. Go down to verse 10 of chapter 2. And it actually says what the walk looks like. Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's that theme of walking again. It's another aspect of this walk that we're to be wise in. It's with Christ. And our walk is one in which we participate in good works that He prepared for us. We don't get saved and have this inner devotion with Christ, but then become hermits from the world. But it becomes a faith that is worked out. Good works. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works this year for you to walk in. It's really an amazing thought to consider that God in His providence has sovereignly ordained the works for His people to do. I wonder how differently you and I would look at the coming year if, just just say that you received a revelation from heaven that God has prepared good works each day on the calendar. And you just knew there were good works for you to do and they would present themselves. 
How expectant we would be as we woke up each day. How eager we would hopefully be to look for the opportunities he brings. What's it going to be today? What's he prepared? And yet, this is exactly what he's done. This is exactly what he's prepared in our walk. You have 365 days of good works to walk in. In fact, I think there must be opportunities that come our way over and over in the Christian life. And depending on whether we're walking in the Spirit, we're either performing the good works as they come our way, or perhaps we're missing out on them. Perhaps there are opportunities when our eyes are not enlightened and we're not walking with, closely with God, and we're missing opportunity after opportunity to do His will. But if you're paying careful attention to your steps and you're filled with the Spirit, the Lord has good works for you to walk in this year. Now in some ways, we all have the same kinds of works to do. We'll walk in service in our family roles. We'll walk in obedience to receive the means of grace in church and so forth. But in many ways, our works are going to be unique to each of us. There may be needs that you are called to meet that others aren't. There's spiritual gifts that you have that others don't possess. The Lord has called you uniquely to good works in this walk. So, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom as you carefully look at your steps and see what the Lord's prepared each day. There's a few more times Ephesians mentions the walk and fleshes out what it is. We talked about the union with Christ, that it's characterized by good works. I'll just give a couple more and just touch on them briefly. Uh, Move a couple chapters forward to chapter 4. This walk is continued. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul continues... I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there we see another aspect of this walk. It's to be a worthy walk. And it goes on, I think, a few verses later to talk about how the ascended Christ has given gifts to each one. What do these verses in chapter 4 reveal about this walk? I think it shows us that, yes, we're with Christ. Yes, we're called to good works. But it shows us that this walk is in the context of other people who have a walk. It's in the context of a local church. This means it's not a lone ranger walk that we walk in. It's not even just a walk with Christ. It's a walk with others who are walking with Christ. And note, our walk isn't perfect and neither are the other people on their walk. In fact, we're all so imperfect that there's a temptation to often not join the others on the walk. 
Sin comes up. Human nature kicks in. Division at times. And there's a temptation. Either some will have the temptation to just walk away. I don't want to be a part of any other people's walk. I'll just focus on my walk. Just me and Jesus. Whereas others will walk in factions. Uh, We'll walk with these people in the church, but not so fond of the ones over there. Paul says, if we were to walk in a worthy manner, we're told to have humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eagerness to maintain unity in the bond of peace. I think those descriptions are there for a reason. If we are to be wise in how we walk, we are to strive to walk in a manner worthy by being connected within the local church. With other believers. This year, you must resolve to walk with others who are with Christ. To help carry their burdens on the path. To be accountable to others if they point out your missteps. That's a blessing. And those are sort of the the negative and the hard things, but I want to remind us what a blessing it is that we can walk with others on the path. It's a good kindness from the Lord that there are others who are also walking with Jesus and don't have it all together. It's a beautiful picture. One of my favorite things to see when I'm sort of looking outside or when we're on a walk is, is when I see a family that's walking together. It's a tender sight. I think that's the idea. This walk that we have is not just an individual walk with the Lord. It's a family walk. We notice when someone else trips. We, we are helping each other. We enjoy being with each other. It's a loving walk. This year, if you're going to pay attention to your steps, resolve that you will not be isolated in your walk. Resolve that you will join the family of faith in the journey the Lord has for you. The Christian's loving walk is picked up again at the beginning of chapter 5. Sort of the same thing. I'll just kind of summarize it. 5 verse 1 continues the idea of walking. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. And we see here again that a walk is characterized by love in conformity to Christ. Uh, To sort of summarize this chapter up to our verses, it it describes how this love manifests itself in holiness and obedience. That our love in this walk is different from the walk we once had. Another verse I didn't point out in chapter 4 says that not to walk as the Gentiles walk. We don't walk with lust and selfishness and immorality and a, a spirit of covetousness like the world. That's what he describes as those who don't inherit the kingdom of God. Our walk is different. Uh, Moving down, we arrive at the verses which reiterate this holy walk. Look at the end of verse 8. 
chapter 5. The end of verse 8 says, Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Uh, This is the result of all these areas that he's been developing through the book. We're one with Christ. If you're walking in good works, if you're walking with the church, if you're in His will and paying attention to your steps, you're going to walk in light. You will be a light in this world. The result will be that you will stand out. We will walk as lights. And as lights, we will not just merely reveal the light of His ways. You're going to reveal the light of Christ. And that light will bring conviction and possibly even repentance to those who still live in darkness. Look at the verses that come right before our verse. Verses 11-14. through Look at what happens when we're paying attention to our walk. Verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that last part is right before the verse that we started with when Paul says, consider then. Look carefully then. Christ, through His people, shines into the darkness upon a slumbering, destructive world. And He does His work when we walk in the light. The idea here is that if you are walking in the light, you become relevant in a dark world. You reveal how Jesus has shown His light on you and allow Him to shine through you. To to reveal the goodness and properness of His ways. And by consequence, your life, your spiritual walk, exposes the emptiness and the immorality and the spiritual darkness of those who are still outside of Christ. Do you want to make a difference in this world in 2023? It's sort of a buzz phrase to say that people want to make a difference. I think it's, it's in our makeup to want to make a difference. Lots of people, even unbelievers, say they want to make a real difference in their life. Well, you don't have to do extraordinary things. You don't have to even really take on a big social cause. I mean, you might. God could call you to that. If you want to make a difference for Christ and be used by Him, don't underestimate the power of a vibrant, growing spiritual walk. Cultivate your spiritual walk and you will be the light of Christ. This is what makes us useful to the Lord's mission in this world. This is what makes us lampstands in a dark place. Jesus said they will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's what makes us the salt of the earth, preserving the vestiges of goodness in a society that's in moral decline. You lose that, you're no good to anyone. 
A growing, steady walk with the Lord brings opportunities for the Gospel. As it puts Christ on display to shine. And it brings up questions from the unbelieving that you can answer. But if you blend in, and you're not different, and you're on the same course as the world, there's nothing for really to come up. In fact, when it does come up, you're kind of looked at like, really? You? So we see from the context of the whole book that the Christian's walk is one in which there is great responsibility and a great need for exercising wisdom. And these are the things we ought to consider in our walk with the Lord. And Paul goes on in verse 16, and I'm going to give the next two considerations. They'll be briefer. Uh, They also are factors that determine whether we will be walking wisely. Look at how he continues. Having established giving attention to our wise walk, he says how it is done wisely. Making the best use of the time. This is our second consideration. Consider your time from God. Again, as I said at the beginning, your spiritual walk and your witness, what we just talked about, depends on how you use your time. The phrase, making the best use of the time, is again, more literally, to redeem. It's economic. It has the idea of buying back or buying out. It was used historically in a slave market. One who was enslaved would be redeemed and set free from a former master. And the idea here is that we are to buy out this time that just keeps going by and devote it to the God who has purposes for this world. The idea is that our time is constantly moving and escaping us. Do you see time as escaping you? It's being frittered away. It's being spent. And much of it left to itself is often gone to waste. Don't squander the opportunities that time gives to serve the Lord. Because there's a limited amount. And it is your stewardship. Notice that the call is to make use of the time. The time. The implication is that it isn't a, a, it's, it's a fixed amount of time from God. It's uniquely set in place by God for you to allocate. And how you use it and, and how you redeem it will determine your walk and your witness. It's interesting that those who make a big difference are often people who are aware of time. It's true of unbelievers too. Uh, I like this quote from Napoleon. Napoleon Bonaparte, who was known for his great victories in battle. There's one quote that always stood out to me from him, kind of remarking on his career of conquest. Napoleon said this, quote, There is in the midst of every great battle a 10-15 to minute period that is the crucial point. Take that period and you win the battle. Lose it and you will be defeated. End quote. His point was that after all of his experience, he just realized how to fine-tune the exact opportunities he had. 
And I think that's the awareness we're supposed to have of time. It should be pointed out that those who did the most for the Lord are always those who live with awareness that their time is limited and that it belongs to God. Richard read from Psalm 39. David prayed, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Psalm 90. Likewise, praise teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, We must work the works of Him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. And when Peter addresses the church in 1 Peter 1.17, the way he phrases it is interesting. He says, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth. This limit of time is constantly used throughout Scripture as a reminder, as a motivator for us, because I think we so often lose sight of it. It's often escaping us. And those who are aware that they can redeem it and seize it are the ones who often live their lives with great usefulness to God. There was another thing I remember reading from about Philip Melanchthon, a famous reformer, uh, that throughout his, his life, he began to gain a habit in his older years where he would keep a record of the wasted moments in his day. And at the end of the day before bed, he would take that list and he would confess this wasted time to God. And he was effective. There was another saint, and I I can't remember who it was, and I couldn't find it when I looked it up, but I, I know I heard it somewhere. There was one believer who was known for whenever the clock would strike, he was known to often remark to someone, another hour to give account for. If we're to walk wisely, it would behoove us to consider the time. And not merely consider it, but redeem it and make the most of it. Don't let it get away. Now is the time. And at this point, I want us to consider all of the aspects of our walk that we covered earlier. These are all things that require intentional time. An intentional use of time. They never just happen on their own. But they require an intentional effort and an allocation of time. Just think of each area in your walk. Uh, The union with Christ we talked about. Uh, Cultivating your devotion and relationship with the Lord will require intentional, set-aside time this year. And you have to be specific. Uh, The ways we do that is through the Word and prayer. That means that we have to think of times that we're going to open the Word and be in prayer. You don't just get saved and have a perfect understanding of who He is and His plan. You have to actually make times to be a student of the Word. You have to form habits to open the Scriptures for yourself, to ask questions, to take notes, to listen to other teachers, to be discipled. It will take time to hear His voice in your life. And when you're saved, you don't 
passively just have this instant communion with God. But you have to live a life of seeking Him by forming patterns of seeking Him. Patterns of prayer. Put it this way, just look at the life of the perfect God-man Christ. He's God. But in His humanity, He set aside times, oftentimes in the night or early in the day before everyone was up. He slipped away from distractions and found time to spend with His Father. If you're going to grow in communion with God, you have to set time to pour out your heart before Him in supplication and confession and praise. There's no other way. A.W. Tozer said, the one who would know God must give time to Him. Uh, The same could be said about all those other aspects of our walk that we covered. Uh, Good works takes time. Plugging into life in the community of the church will require your time and very specific intentions. If you're going to meet with other believers and have fellowship in your life, oftentimes you're the one who will have to initiate and be specific about the calendar. To set aside times outside of church to meet with other believers or to call a believer. To listen to other believers. It'll take time to perhaps be discipled by another believer. Or, perhaps there's someone who needs to be discipled by you if you set aside time. It will take time to take opportunities to use your spiritual gifts. It will also require time to grow in holiness. There's no magic switch that just replaces sin with righteousness. It's going to require time. The Bible compares the Christian life to being like an athlete. You have to be disciplined for the purpose of godliness. You have to take time to think about what's wasting your time. What what puts temptation in your way? What are those things that you need to remove that influence you to sin or that cause a stumbling block? What are those things you need to do to make sure you're attending yourself to God? What are those spiritual disciplines you need? Those all take time. Uh, Being in the Word, being in prayer, being in fellowship. I would also add that it takes an immense amount of time to faithfully fulfill your role in your home. Because that's also the Christian life. Cultivating a God-honoring marriage will take time. Godly parenting will take time. Younger believers, godly submission and obedience to your parents will take your time. For those who are are single and perhaps don't have these other ties and responsibilities in a home, you may have to find out what God will want to use your time for. Perhaps more of your time needs to go into the church or involvement in your community. As you go into this year, consider your walk with God and consider your time from God. It doesn't happen on its own. And lastly, a final consideration, and this will be very brief. Sort of the implication of that last phrase is to consider your mission for God. Consider your urgent mission for God. And this is what should prompt you to think in the present. It's implied in the brief phrase at the end of 16. Paul gives this other note. Why do we do this? 
Because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. That last phrase serves as a a great motivation for urgency to seize this moment now. Uh, To pay attention to your walk now. It reflects that there is a good mission in this world. You're not evil, but the world is evil. This phrase, the days are evil, it's a summary of the course of this age, the surroundings that we walk in. We live in a present evil age. We live in a society that walks in darkness and a culture that's given over to all kinds of evil. Scripture says in 2 Timothy 3, see if this hits home with specifics. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The days are evil. And you are called by God to not be hermits. To not be a monk in a monastery. We're not called to be separatists. You're not called to be escapists. You and I are called to walk wisely because we're in the midst of this world. And we have to redeem the time because there's work to be done. And the gravity of the evil in this world situation is meant to be a reminder that it is an urgent mission. There's two senses in which you can take this phrase, the days are evil, and each are valid in their own way. In one sense, Paul mentions it, probably because with, the evil, with evil days comes growing persecution. Like, it's getting worse. Look at the opportunities you have now. And don't lose them because you may not always have the same liberties and opportunities to live out your faith. This is what happened in the Roman Empire with the churches. Gradually over time, the state became hostile to the propagation of the Christian faith. And so he could mean in that way, if you see freedom and the public openness to the Gospel, don't lose that. Redeem the time. Because the days are evil. Another sense that it could be taken, although that is true, another reminder of evil increasing is that there's a greater need for you to make a difference in it. It's a reminder for you to be on guard that you're not influenced by that evil. That you don't shelter yourself from that evil in terms of not engaging it. That you don't put your light under a bushel. The world and its growing evil needs resolved Christians more than ever. And as verse 14 indicates, Jesus is in the work of shining His light in the darkness. The Great Commission is not over. There are still souls yet to be saved. Even from among a dark society, and perhaps it could be argued especially because 
There's a dark society. Because our God loves to take what, is, what seems hopeless and make them trophies of His grace. The world needs Christians who will resolve to take seriously their mission in this world. And who will be His means to gather His elect. And also don't forget, evil dark days are often preceded by great revivals and reformations from our Lord. It could be that He will do this again in our society. That if we walk closely with Him and redeem the time He has given us, He has great things in store for what He will do for all of society. So I want to personalize this as we close. That you consider your walk. That you consider your time from God. That you consider your mission. This year could be the year He decides to do His greatest work through you. If you look back at last year and you see that it was a lot of mediocrity, this could be the year that makes a difference. Perhaps it will ascend upward from this point forward if you give attention to your steps. Perhaps this is a time of greater growth. An opportunity for greater effectiveness. And remember, this year could also be your final year. The last providential allotment of time that God has for you to redeem for His purposes. Whatever our lot may be, whatever time we have left, may the Lord empower us to be wise today to consider our walk with Him, consider the time we have from Him, and to consider our mission for Him. Let's pray. Father, we're not sufficient for these things. Lord, we all are each convicted on how we stumble in many things and we are weak and we need You to work in us. We need You to help us to consider the calling You've given us to walk with You. We need You to help us to, to consider the time You've given to us and to redeem it, to use it for You. And Lord, we pray that You would help us to consider the mission that each of us has been called to, that we would know exactly what the will of You is and be filled with Your Spirit. Lord, we ask these things and we ask this for our church that You would revive us that you would make us even the first fruits of a revival if that is what you will. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.